There isn't a more gripping and cliche storyline than that of the comeback. When one team seems to be down and out, totally dominated and demoralized, but then behind the heart of a champion and one hero, the hero leads his team back from the depths to steal the game right before they cross the finish line. We love to root for the underdog. It seems like it's deeply connected into the human psyche. It's relatable and we love the story. It's thrilling and exhilarating, motivating. Goes back to the times of David and Goliath when David took down the giant. And in our lives, we have to mount the same comeback. And we need to believe, as the Medrash tells us, that there is the great and dominant foe, the Eight Sahara, who holds us back from accomplishing this great task of Ki HaMitzvah HaZos Asher Anoichi Mitzavcha Ayayim Loini Fleishit Mimcha To know Torah. We are commanded to know Hashem's Torah. But as the Medrash gives such a powerful muscle, the fool who hears about this mitzvah of knowing Torah will walk inside of the study hall and seek out the rabbi and say, well, how do I sign up to know Torah? And the rabbi will point him to the bookshelf and say, why don't you open up a book and take a seat? There are 25 books of scripture and 63 tractates of Gemara. And to be clear, that's 2711, over 2,000, over 2,700 double-sided folios of Talmudic pages. So why don't you get started? The fool says, what? How am I ever going to find the time to do all of that? So he gives up. But the Pikeach, but the hero, the comeback kid, he says, well, if I do a chapter a day of learning Chumash, I'll finish that after a couple years, and then I'll move in to start learning Mishnah, and then Gemara, and then some Halacha, and then some Agada, but a little bit a day. A chapter a day, and at, over time, you will amass great knowledge, and eventually, yes, even finishing Torah is within reach. Knowledge of Torah, the mitzvah of studying it, is very close to you. It is close to you and somebody that will take the steps forward and actually try it and notice that if I do a little bit a day, and you can finish it. That's mounting the ultimate comeback. The heroes, they see that this isn't a 50-point game. I don't got to get it all back now. Drive by drive, possession by possession, point by point, you claw your way back in. And eventually, when you get close, you go for the kill. Only the fools, the rest of the bum teammates say, oh, we're down by 50, there's no hope. So, write the greatest comeback in the history of time. Start learning day by day, piece by piece, one chapter by one chapter. And then you will be the ultimate hero. And you stand there, finishing all of Torah. It's a beautiful story. Become the comeback kid. You better be ready. Because when opportunity comes knocking, he doesn't stay there for very long. You better open up that door and take full advantage. Before he's gone. And if success in your mind is to score that job and win over the hearts of the bosses at the job interview, 
or maybe to grab the podium in front of thousands of people and deliver a soul-stirring public speech that will coax the nation to action. Or maybe you are just venturing, endeavoring to have the very simple but elusive great day. If you own this process and master this skill, you will undoubtedly succeed. But without this, absent this skill, you are either going to fail or deserve to fail. What is this wonderful secret sauce? There's none other than hachana, preparation. With necessary preparation, you will succeed. Without it, you are doomed. Nothing in life, no real accomplishment can be had without sufficient preparation. Do you really hope to have a holy Shabbos without a Friday? Only the fools are upset when Shabbos doesn't go as planned, even though they haven't prepared properly. You set the table, you buy the wine, you buy the challah, boom, here we go with the Shabbos. Masilas Yasharm explains to us that really this world, at a very broad scale, is just a big ball of preparation for the next world. Preparation. The best public speaking advice I ever received from one of the most, perhaps, yeshivish, yeshivish Gentiles. I say that facetiously. Dale Carnegie. Either him or Mark Twain is probably the most yeshivish. But Dale Carnegie said that he heard in the name of the great Abraham Lincoln that a good speech is nine-tenths delivered. It is before you even give the drusha. You have prepared it, rehearsed it so many times that you are merely going through the motions and just adding a bit of energy when you're actually in front of the crowd because you have put in the necessary preparation so success is impending and eminent. And for sure, this is the depth behind Ella. For we hope that God will slice off another bite, another piece of life for us in the upcoming year. We hope to prove triumphant on the day of judgment and that God will forgive us on the day of atonement. But how can atonement and successful judgment be won without an Elul of necessary preparation? That is Elul. Rabbi Ephraim Waxman says, do you hear stories about the great Rabbi Yisrael Salander and Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer about their Rosh Hashanahs? Or do you hear it all about how they prepared during Elul? That's when the commitments happen. That's when all the magic goes down for the smart ones. Without preparation, you're doomed. And somebody who doesn't enjoy Torah learning, they probably just haven't necessarily prepared for it. They just don't know what it is. They don't know the language, the jargon. They don't know the back and forth. Who's talking? Why am I learning? You got to prepare, says the Rambam, if you want to have sweetness in your Torah learning. So if you want to ace that job interview... The hair's good, the dimple in the tie. You know the questions they're going to ask, and you have the answers prepared. The drusha you've gone over so many times, you know the questions the crowd might ask. And for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, all the more so. You know that Hashem's going to ask all about the different sins. He's going to ask all about the tshuva efforts. So get it done now. Hayom la'asosam, prepare properly. Prepare to succeed because hachana preparation is everything you have most definitely engaged in this highly treacherous activity 
sometime within the last 24 hours and probably engage in this practice nearly every single day. Perhaps I should say every single night. It is something that is maybe the most unproductive way to spend some of your time. The sages have called this experience a partial death. And what's more, you will minimally spend 25% of your time involved in this activity. What is this practice and activity if you haven't discovered it already? It is none other than sleep. Sleeping. Getting your beauty rest at nighttime. And what if I told you that it's not only 25% of perhaps 35% of every single alive moment that you have on earth that you will engage in this practice of sleep, but what if right now, while you are watching this, you may be sleeping? The Rambam tells us that even though it is a clear edict and we do not necessarily need reasons or the depth behind the mitzvah. For if Hashem commands it, it's an edict and we just carry it out. But there is a remez, there is a certain lesson behind the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And that is, Uru, Uru, Mishinaschem. Arise, wake up individuals from your slumber. For you have fallen into this comatose, monotonous, sleep-like experience with the mitzvahs. You have distracted yourself with the Havle Hazman. You care more about the daily news than you do about your Kriya Shema. So let's send in the wrecking ball of the shofar with the glorious and melodious sound, the booming sound of this ram's horn, the natural blow that will ignite your soul. And then after that, immediately the trua like a jackhammer, waking you up, shaking you awake. But what if I told you? Not what if I told you. I will tell you that there are times that it's not uncommon that I sleep through my alarm in the morning. So how can I protect myself? How can you can protect yourself from not sleeping through with the alarm of the shofar? Maybe we don't hear it. What is the way that you see to it that you don't oversleep your alarm in the morning, your alarm clock? Well, you don't sleep so hard. If you are so deeply in REM with that slow sleep wave where you can't hear anything, you may not hear that alarm. But if you know you have some obligations and you're not such a deep sleeper, you're going to hear that alarm. Maybe during Elul, we should already be pulling ourselves out of the deep sleep coma-like state in which our soul is lying so dormant and dead inside, but wake ourselves up a little bit already before Rosh Hashanah so that when the shofar does come, we will actually hear the sound of that alarm clock waking us up. So, hear the shofar already during Elul. Try to tune out all the other beeping and honking and rackets of people's cell phones and cars. Hear the shofar. Don't sleep so deeply so that when the alarm sounds on the holy day of Rosh Hashanah with that beautiful shofar, it will shake you awake and remind you of your obligations. The following story changed my entire outlook on the holy month of Elul and the outlook on Tshuva and it is my sincere hope that it will do the same for you. And with just around a week left until the holy day of Rosh Hashanah, what better time to tell these stories and get down to business and get real about our tshuva efforts. So the gentleman 
entered into the office of the holy Chazoin Ish and poured out his heart, telling the Chazin Ish, what's the point of tshuva this year? See, every year I put in the effort and I see some success. I get serious about my davening and my learning. I take on a couple extra minutes. My prayers are great and concentrating, but it never endures. Just a couple days after Yom Kippur, I've already forgotten my commitments by Kabbalos and by Hanukkah. Forget about it. So why should I venture in to the intense world of Elul and Shuvah if it's not going to endure? So what's the point? And listen to the Chazoin Isha's answer. He looked at the man. He said, repeated. You got it all wrong. You must not understand what even one second of tshuva and maizim tovim is worth. You must not know how precious and how yafa shoachas betshuva umaizim tovim is in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It matters not about the tshuva you're doing now if it even endures. Forget about it. It's better if it endures. But one second... You want to discredit and discount that because, you know, maybe it won't last. When we understand and we get that real knowledge of Kia Mitzvah Hazois, Asher it ain't far away, it ain't across the oceans or in the sky. It's practical. You can do it. You just put in the effort. And will it last? Will it persist? Eh, who knows? But now, we do it now. And that second of tshuva and maizim tovim can never be taken away from you. Progress can only be made in reality. Tshuva can only be accomplished in reality. We once spoke from Rav Dessler that long before Moshe Rabbeinu was called the greatest servant to ever live, and the most humble person to walk the earth, he removed his shoes, for the ground was holy. A removing of one's shoes and noticing your own limitations, living in reality, is very much where it all begins, and we can start to ascend the ladder. And therefore, it is very much the study of Musser that is there to help us remove the lies that we may tell ourselves. A psychotherapist or regular therapist is there to help show the distorted reality that the client is living in and to bring him back to the home base that we call reality, where now progress can be made. And at a time right before Rosh Hashanah, in the month of Elul, when a cheshbon hanefesh, an accounting of one's actions, is vital, it's very hard to do. We have a big problem because... We can't always look at ourselves with an honest eye, an HD. It's a very blurry screen. We love ourselves, and we never want to call ourselves to be doing something wrong. So how can we do it? The Gemara and Kedushin gives us a tip in 70B and says that man sees his own thought in others. This is what scientists and contemporary wisdom calls projection, in which it's a mental process that people will attribute to others what is in their own mind. Remarkable. You see things that are really happening in you 
on someone else. In its most benign and mature form, it actually is the basis of empathy to be able to relate to somebody else's struggles and triumphs. But if you should find a class bully with exaggerated shots at his peers, making fun of one being obese or the other one being from a lower financial bracket, when all of it is totally false, it is really just a bully projecting his own exaggerated insights on others because he's living in his own reality and he's taking it out on others? It can be toxic. The Chedushia Rim says, in fact, that Koirach, when he said, Moshe Rabbeinu, why are you lording? Why are you crowning yourself over everybody else? It was Korach just projecting his own desire for honor and glory onto Moshe Rabbeinu. Projection. And this was a classic modeling of this condemned behavior. Musser is there for us to come back to reality. And if you want to get an honest look at yourself, pick up on if you're projecting onto others. Do you see any shortcomings in your friend? Why is he always coming late to davening? Why do you notice that but no one else notices it? Maybe you're just seeing something from your own mind, something that's really going on inside. If a part of Torah doesn't speak to you, it doesn't mean the Torah is empty. It means that you are empty in regards to that piece of Torah and work must be done. Projection is such an amazing way for us to notice our own impulses, traits, and mannerisms, and the limitations on them that we may see in other people may really be going on inside of us. So projected feelings and the shortcomings that you see in others, take to heart and know that this is a spot that I may need to work on. In the jungle, it is simply kill or be killed. A true survival of the fittest. But there is, however, one creature that all others bend the knee to. He is called, very aptly, the king of the jungle. And that is none other than the graceful and intimidating lion. See, the lion strikes fear in all of his opponents and all cower before him. But after further investigation, you may find it interesting that the lion is in fact not the fastest. That title is held for the cheetah. He is definitely not larger than the elephant, nor is he any wiser than the fox. So what is it that crowns the lion as the king of the jungle? And if you watch a standoff between a lion and an antelope, a lion, an elephant, a lion, and any other creature, you will be able immediately to tell the difference and figure out the X factor. What is it? You will notice that the lion's opponent will cower in fear. He will look for the door. He will feel doomed with a big gulp of, oh no. However, staring right back at him is the face of a confident predator. The lion's confidence is what crowns him king. His belief in himself. The more you think about it, the more it seems to make sense. For the stories that we tell ourselves are very much the reality of what we live in, and we are not a step greater than what we think of ourselves. And it's hard not to connect the dots. For how many times does the Torah encourage us to repent and to show strength like a lion? Yiskaber ka'ari. 
You should be gibor ka'ari lasot fritzon avicha shabashomayim. Ka'ariyei yishog. Yehuda was a lion. Or doesn't it feel like the idea is that we must repent with strength, but coupled with the strength is a belief in self, with a confidence that I'm going to get this job done, that I will emerge victorious. And it's well documented that there isn't a more debilitating and paralyzing mindset than that of a lack of self-confidence, a lack of self-worth, feeling like there's no hope. It takes a can-do attitude to repent. Repent like a lion and let the truth be told that the path to tshuva, total repentance, leads through the Amazon. Oh, you got to go through the jungle. And if you would like to survive, I reckon that you adopt the mindset of a lion and let all others, every single one of the tricks of the Yetzirah, bend a knee before you because you say, I see lunch, and you see the Yetzirah. Run forth like David towards Goliath. Vayorot likras Goliath with a confidence, with a faith in yourself. Encourage yourself, know that it can be done and it will get done. That is the X factor in your tshuva this year. Kill them, can't they see?